welcome to get off zero um if you want to jump on the website i'm actually going to do an update today to the website as well so a few links and things on there we're on stacker news we're on um uh, twitter if you want to reach out to me so it's at kieran d nolan and uh the website is getoffzeropod.com today i've got an awesome guest who we've been trying to catch up for weeks uh, <laughs> and uh, it's just really actually good to catch up adam and have a chat because yeah, I've, I've missed uh, chatting with you from uh, the nights, like the middle of the night. I used to have to get up <laughs> and chat to you yeah. guys and the, the Stacks community. But um, yeah, welcome, Adam. Um, do, you, do you want to give a, a brief background to yourself and um, what projects you're working on? And um, I want to get into your El Salvador trip. But yeah, if you can give us a, a brief background uh, to yourself and yeah, projects that you're working on at the moment. Sure thing, man. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to be here. I'm very happy to connect with you because, yeah, I do miss your late nights, my early morning sessions that we used to do. Um, yeah, so my name is Adam Hahn. I've been working um, in the world of Web3 for a little under a year. Uh, I'm the head of community programs at the Stacks Open Internet Foundation. I've been doing community for as long as I can remember. Uh, I think it's kind of ingrained in my DNA. I, I grew up in a town of a thousand people. And so the the saying of it takes a village uh, when you think of starting something, growing something, whether it be a startup, a business, a project, whatever, um, that that saying resonates deep with me because it, that's like what my surrounding was when I when I grew up was like my village. So um, yeah, I kind of, whether I got into doing community by design or just sort of like I don't know, dumb luck. Um, I've been doing it since I would say like as a hobby since 2000 for roughly the past 13 years. I've been doing it more of as like a profession for about the last 10 or 11. Uh, I've worked at organizations, um, nonprofits, and uh, different coding schools. Um, and or most of them dedicated towards helping entrepreneurs grow their businesses like Startup Weekend and Techstars and Founders Boost. Um, and and yeah, it's been, um, a, have done a lot, learned a lot in the last 12 years. And that's kind of like what got me to um, where I'm at now doing community programming at the at the Stacks Foundation. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, with um with Stacks, like what what sort of updates have you got and what sort of stuff are you working on at the moment? Because I know there's the clarity camps, there's a lot, a lot of cool things happening. What's the what's the big one? Um well yeah hackathons I guess are like top of mind. That's what I'm doing lots of spending less time planning. Um we want we want to be doing lots of grassroots stuff is the short answer I would say. So um as most would know, the pandemic kind of like really changed a lot of the the way that we all work. Um so we do a lot of uh virtual activities, um, lots of hackathons, clarity camps. These are these are uh, programs that are designed to teach people how to build smart contracts on Bitcoin using the Stacks blockchain. So uh, we have a six week long course that teaches developers how to build smart contracts using Clarity uh, programming language. Um, so yeah, but we want to be doing a lot more growth with with that specific program. Um, you know, we're looking for developers who are really interested in in teaching this stuff, first learning it, but then also even more so teaching this stuff. Um, and ultimately training them so they can be doing this stuff in person in their communities and kind of going back to those uh, like boots on the ground grassroots efforts that you know I mentioned before. That's kind of like the the plan and the the move that we're making right now. 
Um, hackathons are a big thing, you know, for any Bitcoiners out there, the uh, ordinals is taking over the world right now in, in, in the Bitcoin world. Uh, so we want to be doing lots of um, hackathons, maybe exploring what that would look like. Um, some of the companies in the stacked ecosystem have already started to build tooling for ordinal creation and um, allowing uh, different sort of like Bitcoin aspects into these stacks wallets, uh, which is really exciting. Um, but then for, you know, going back to me, like chapters program, that's one of the things I focus on. This is very grassroots driven, uh, very community oriented, where I work with people like you, what, like we used to um, work with people who you work with and know very well to empower them to build their stacks community and their Bitcoin community in their local community. Um, so we're kind of moving forward with more uh, growth for this ecosystem stuff with chapters, but um, also a little bit more lighter versions of that. So I work with uh, community leaders all over the world. And if they want to do anything that's educational, uh, anything that's like, you know, heads down working, hacking on something, um, if they want to explore different types of use cases and do like pitch competitions or something in their city, it's kind of, it's a very open uh, floor plan of what's possible to do this type of stuff. So um, I'm most excited right now of like launching into new markets, but also it's like really fun and exciting to see where these chapter leaders like Gordon uh, and Electra and 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 Nat and London shout and Fusion in Indonesia, all that <laughs> shout out um, to see like how far they've come and all the plans that they have made because you know these are things that they've been working on for the past few months. And it's been really awesome to see it come to life uh, and, and also like hear what their plans are, the partnerships they make, the events that they throw, the types of connections that take place at these events. Like it's all very rewarding stuff. Very cool. Very cool indeed. So I, I know you went to uh, El Salvador recently. I was super, super, super jealous. Um, you met Electra there as well. Um, I did. Actually, before we get into that, the, the whole ordinals thing, are you, just for people who don't know what that is and why it's such a big uh, topic, I suppose, like people outside the community might know, know what that is. Would you be able to break that down um, just just quickly and, and sort sure. of the, the difference between NFTs on stacks and ordinals and kind of what, what that means? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, so forgive me, this is incorrect. This is my first time actually explaining it. So, <laughs> but the way, I, the way I like to think about it, and for as a reminder, I'm not technical. You know, Kieran is way more technical than I am. There's times where he, we and I, he and I would have conversations and he would ask me things. I'm like, man, that's way over my head. I don't know. <laughs> I'm supposed to help you with community stuff, not the technical stuff. But I do like this question. So what I'll say is um, a Stacks NFT, or no, I'll start with an ordinal. So ordinals is these inscriptions on individual Satoshis. And so if somebody asks me, because even that's kind of like, well, what does that mean? I like to think of it as if you think of, I'm based in the US, let's think of US dollars. You know, there's a dollar and then there's a penny. Like a penny is a Satoshi to Bitcoin. A penny is as a penny is to a dollar. Yep. What a ordinal is, is if an artist or anyone really, not even an artist, because you don't have to be an artist, but if someone inscribed some sort of art or some sort of visual, some sort of design, on an actual penny, would that penny be worth now more than one cent? Um, and what's really interesting in the world of Bitcoin, because as we know, Bitcoin has a cap, that's really interesting to see. It drives the value of what a Satoshi could be, what it could stand for, what people, yep. what people can do with it. Um, so to me, that specifically is like, I don't know, it's a, it's a pretty awesome concept. 
Um, I do think it adds more value to uh, to Bitcoin or at least to Sats. And I think it, it it brings and it's a good thing for us, for us, meaning like the Stacks community. It's a good thing for me and for people who will believe in building on Bitcoin, because it's a really good way to illustrate the possibilities of what you can do with Bitcoin, uh, as opposed to just like, you know, using it as a currency. Um, you know, we do believe that there's a, it's so much untapped potential of what you can do on Bitcoin or with Bitcoin. Yeah. So um, that's why we're really excited for ordinals, um, how that relates to Stacks is you know one thing that the stacks ecosystem did there were multiple companies you know like hero xverse uh, gamma these are different all different types of companies in the stacks ecosystem and we started seeing this wave building up of ordinals uh i love their move fast builder mentality of exploring what this is how it works and building tooling to allow people to to do more with their ordinals um, so there's one guy, you know, he created like an ordinal swap tool uh, within the Stacks ecosystem, uh, Gamma, which is an NFT marketplace. Uh, they have a tool where you can inscribe ordinals um, and then these wallets, Xverse wallet, Hero wallet, uh, they provide support for, for ordinal uh, NFTs. Um, so it, all that happened within just like a week of time, at least that's what it felt like, that's what it seemed like. So it was just really exciting and invigorating to see like everybody immediately rallying, you know, around this movement and building towards it and like seeing what happens. And as the last thing is like in, after the past few months, we're in this bear market. So seeing something where people are so excited to act on right away and start building on, is just like super refreshing. And it's, it's, it's just been super exciting to be, to be a part of. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the, the whole like artist, empowering artists like through that particularly like students so like years ago at my school um sort of in like 2015 2016 uh like we thought that we invented the concept of like nfts at high school so basically <laughs> the way the way we did it was using um the ethereum blockchain and spinning up like one token so like the the non-fungible token is just like one erc20 and that unique identifier we put on like physical artworks. We had artwork that with this um, software called iJack. So iJack basically lets you uh, take an image. So like one of those images behind me and you can annotate over the top of it. And then you look at it through an iPad and it like moves. Or, mm. So the kids are doing all sorts of crazy stuff with that. The other element we put to that was this like unique identifier on, on Ethereum with the ERC20, ERC20 token that um, we actually put on the, I think it was the McAfee decks when that launched, because you could just like put it up for free. And we had our whole website with all the kids work on there called uh, Art of Proof, we were calling it at the time. And okay. then kind of forgot about it. And then these NFTs popped up. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what we were doing. But like, did we do this? Are we <laughs> responsible for this? <laughs> it was so weird. And then we were like, oh, it like exploded. And uh, yeah, it's so cool to see. But like, I think we had a, like people buying the token for like a dollar or something. But even that, it's like so empowering to a student to create a piece of art and then somebody actually buying it potentially on the other side of the world. Like it's so, so cool. So yeah, I think ordinals are going to be something interesting and yeah, definitely empowering and the whole um, NF NFT movement. I, like there's obviously like, you know, scammers like there is with everything else, but the, I think the good sort of outweighs the bad with that in terms of experimenting with the technology. So that's that's so cool to hear that it's um yeah exploding and hence hence the no sleep for you I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the I I agree and I I have mad respect for 
the, the curious ones, the people who want to experiment and explore things and, and learn this stuff. I mean, um, and that's what that's why I'm so pleased and proud, you know, the Stacks builders that I mentioned before that they've created these types of things, because I think it really opens up the door of possibility for for new builders and for um, other people. Because mm. one one cool, I mean, I don't want to be like absolutely quoted on this, but um, whatever time it took to originally create an ordinal, like the first ordinal, the first few ordinals that were created, I think I read it took a few days to do that. And then using the tooling of of gamma that I mentioned before, you know, they they tweeted out this a few days ago, like okay, using this this gamma scripting tool, you can now uh, inscribe an ordinal in a matter of seconds. I mean, so for me, that kind of like, to me, that's just really inspiring that it's allowing and empowering so many other people to um, explore and experiment, you know, kind of like before the, you know, five years ago, three years ago, so many people were afraid to learn how to code or be a developer um, because it was just too intimidating, too overwhelming. And then lots of no code tools came out. And I think when people started just being a little more open-minded with these no code tools, they realized like, oh, I can use this or, oh, this makes sense they see the possibilities that they can do with it. I mean, it really just kind of comes from a mindset of, you know, I'm curious about this thing. I'm willing to explore with this thing and I want to experiment with it. And like the outcome could be, I mean, it's unknown, but that's kind of like what makes it interesting. 100%, 100%. So yeah, switching gears into your trip to El Salvador, because I saw the photos of the the tweets and everything. Tell me about it. Like what, what was the highlights? Like what, what, uh, how long were you there for? Like the, the whole thing. <laughs> I was there. Okay. Yeah. And if you want to interrupt and ask me more questions, feel free. Cause I feel like I'm going to, I feel like so much has happened since then. It was only just like three months ago, which is yeah, wild. <laughs> <laughs> it was in November. So yeah. Uh, you know, it's late February now, but, um, I went pretty last minute. Uh, I wasn't going to, so I went for adopting Bitcoin. Um, you know, this is a pretty big conference. I think a thousand people in attendance, uh, and 10% were local, but for me, I'm a, I'm a nomadic traveler at heart. Um, so I've been to several different countries. I've never been to El Salvador. So this was like interesting just for my own personal selfish reasons. I wanted to see a new country. Um, I did know that Electra was going to be there. She had mentioned that. So I had worked with Electra doing Stacks chapter work. And I'm like, this is awesome. This will be my opportunity to meet uh, somebody in real life that I've been working with and haven't really done that for a while, like, like, a, like a customer, if you will, someone I'm working with. Um, so that was definitely an additional benefit. But for me, El Salvador, like, you know, I, I've learned about Bitcoin basically all self-taught, like, like most people. Yeah, I've gone about it in, in, in uh, what feels like my own unique way, but I'm sure, I think everybody probably feels like their way is different. It's probably all the same at the same time. But whatever notion I thought I knew of Bitcoin prior to going to El Salvador, it like actually set in. Being in El Salvador and seeing, like, actually, I'll tell you, I get off the plane, I get off the plane in El Salvador, and I'm going through customs, I'm going through immigration, and um, I actually didn't look any of this up, like, what is the immigration process experience like in El Salvador? So I'm going through line and they're like, oh, you have to, you need a visa. And I was just like, oh no, I didn't know that. I, I, I wasn't planning for that. And they're like, yeah, you can pay for it here. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, how do you accept payment? Oh, nice. Thinking like, do I need to get local currency? Can you take my card? And she kind of just gives me this look. She's like, we accept Bitcoin. Yes. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, oh shit. Like, of course you do. Like, <laughs> why didn't I think about that? So, um, cool. so for me, like, my interaction with Bitcoin prior to this trip was honestly, I mean, I use Coinbase to, to buy. 
Um, and so that's what I would be using. That's where, uh, if I'm, if, if my hot Bitcoin is somewhere, it's in Coinbase, but like, you know, I didn't bring, I didn't bring my cold wallet or anything like that on this trip, like rightfully so. So I'm thinking like, okay, I gotta, I gotta load up my wallet so I can actually start paying people in Bitcoin. Like, and that was, I had to, I had to buy my ticket to the conference using Bitcoin when I was still in the U S um, anywhere I'd go to buy coffee, to buy lunch, anything. Um, it was just all Bitcoin driven. And honestly, like that was seeing it, doing it, like executing it myself was so much different than like watching a video of someone doing it online or like hearing someone talk about it. Like when I was actually doing, it, I was like, this is wild to me. Yeah. Um, even even a, like U.S. based companies, like I think there was a Starbucks in my hotel. So I went to a Starbucks at one point and, you know, they still accepted Bitcoin there. I'm like this Starbucks in El Salvador is doing things that like no other Starbucks in the world is probably right. doing. Yeah, so yeah. it was it was really fascinating. But like, holy shit, man, the thing was the locals there are so educated on it. There is a documentary that maybe, you know, it's called Dare to Dream. They showed it at El Salvador. And right. that no, documentary. Right. I would I would recommend it. Uh, it was it's like an hour and a half. It's really all about the material that I think people in Bitcoin are interested in, kind of like talking about how money's broken and just sort of like what Bitcoin does. And but for me, it was so eye opening because prior to that trip, you know, the people I speak with in the U.S. they can't really wrap their mind around what Bitcoin is and why it exists. Of course, my coworkers, my peers, they do. But yeah. let's say I'm I'm gonna go home for a holiday and I'm speaking to like family members or or relatives or you know uncles and parents and things like that. Trying to explain Bitcoin to them is a much different challenge. Mm -hmm. But if going to El Salvador and learning that you know over sixty percent of the country can't open up a bank account, mm -hmm. um, they just don't have the access and they don't have the same resources to do that. And seeing how much how damaging that is and how dangerous that is because you know, it doesn't really give them a fair shot to save money. Uh, where where do you put your money if you don't have a bank account? That's right. Um, you know, they they're, they're, that's what leads to break-ins and robberies and people getting mugged and things like that. So for me, that was really eye-opening to see. And it was just like so inspiring to see these organizations who are doing these educational initiatives, working with the locals to teach them, this is how you use it. This is what it is. We're giving you a phone with, with Satoshis on it to get started. Um, you know, and like that opened up opportunities for those people because now they can start a business and let's say tourism, because we went to Bitcoin Beach, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about that. And just like all this tourism that's coming into El Zonte, where Bitcoin Beach is, the locals aren't able to, you know, take advantage of that. They're not even really able to optimize that in any way. But now that they have Bitcoin and they know travelers because they're in El Salvador probably carry Bitcoin. I can pay to get a t-shirt from them or I can pay to buy coffee or buy food from the locals in Elizante or get a haircut. Like it, it basically allowed these people to be more entrepreneurial because mm -hmm. they now have an opportunity to, to make money and store and save money or do whatever that they want to do with their Bitcoin. Um, so so from to, to, to interject there, so I had, uh, I was actually on the bill for adopting Bitcoin, but I, I couldn't make it over, which was really annoying. And I was like, so devastated that I, that I couldn't go. So next year, I want to try and go to it. But my friends, uh, Chris from CoinStop and Alpha Hashrate, and he's got a bunch of companies. He's actually running a Bitcoin conference now. Uh, called Bitcoin Alive, uh, Bitcoin only in um, Sydney in April. So I'm, I'm going up to that. So it should be pretty cool. Awesome. But he was over there. And uh, for the second year in a row, we bought a T-shirt 
from a vendor over lightning over Twitter in real time. So he's like, picked it out for me, tweeted it to me, sent it to the <laughs> vendor. So cool. And brought it back for me. And it's just like the power of the lightning network to do that. Like me in Australia in real time, straight to the vendor on the other side of yeah. the world. Like it's so, so cool. So cool to see. Totally, man. And I mean, that brings up the the talking point of like remittances where people in El Salvador, because the economic situation wasn't so great, they leave to find better work. But so much of that money that they make in foreign countries when they send it back home gets lost mm-hmm. to remittance fees. I can't remember the exact number, but I was like astounded by how high the remittance fee is um, or how much money does not go to like the people in El Salvador. So, but like, you know, in this case, you know, you can send them Bitcoin and not have to, to worry about any of that. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it was it was cool just to experience in situations like what you were describing. But for me, like I was able to actually truly zoom out and see like bigger picture here. And it's yeah. kind of ironic because I've been working in this space at this point. This conference took place in November. I started working in this uh, space, you know, in, in March of that same year. So I'm working for seven, eight months and just going to El Salvador. It's just like, whoa. If you took six months of learnings, but like crammed them into three days or a week, I was in wow. El for six days, I think it was like, I learned more in that six days because I was literally seeing it firsthand um, and the, and the positive impact it can make. So like, so that was like really, really empowering. I mean, that was for many reasons, a lot of different reasons, but that was one of the most like inspiring and empowering uh, and just impactful conferences that I had ever attended. So I mean, yeah, you'll learn a lot of things at the conference, but like seeing it, seeing Bitcoin work in like the day to day of regular people's lives, like that was what I was like really blown away by. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. No, I've, I've, uh, I have to uh, make a trip there. I'll do I'll come come past Austin on the way. And we'll, yeah. We'll come to Austin and then we'll travel down to El Salvador <laughs> together next year. Sounds like a plan. All right. So switching gears. Um, so more about yourself. So what I've kind of asked everyone on this podcast is the first time that you sort of questioned money, was that pre-Bitcoin or post-Bitcoin? Um, and sort of what like, can you run us through that if you can remember? I can remember, but it's not wasn't really that long ago, honestly. So in the I mean, so I grew up in the Midwest in the US. <clears throat> I already mentioned it's a really small town in the state of Illinois. Um you don't really get taught how money works. I mean, people could live much better, uh, like financially healthier, safer, happier lives if I think more people knew how money actually works. Um, I even took multiple finance classes while I was in college, but still didn't learn anything as much as I did when I started studying, you know, Bitcoin and Web3, uh, because the first thing that I learned with Bitcoin was well you have to you have to unlearn what you already know mm-hmm. and i feel like that was the hardest thing for me when you know to your question when i learned about like the problems with money it's like no because to me money is sacred and money is like a really big thing um but ultimately it really depends on what your relationship with it is and like really like what does this paper stand for what does this digital currency stand for and so for me like i never made those questions i never asked myself those things until starting to learn about bitcoin because again, my first few steps into Bitcoin were you have to realize like the, the system that you think you know is, is broken and here's how and here's why. Um, so when I, and, and really like, I guess I grasped that concept, but it really didn't like hit me and like really, really see it until again, I went to El Salvador. Mm. Um, 
So I made, but to your, to your question, I did, um, I never asked myself that until like Bitcoin, uh, but then so learning about Bitcoin, it was like, I was like slowly, gradually like unlearning those things that I thought I knew previously and learning more so about like, you know, how, how, how things like Bitcoin works or how things like decentralization works. Um, mm. And that's what sort of, sort of, that's what sort of started to change my mindset on, on Bitcoin or sorry, on, on, money. on how money yeah. works. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Or, or to that point then, when was your, what's, what's, what's your Bitcoin origin story? Like when did you first hear about it and start interacting with it? Well, I'm going to make fun of myself for the first like couple of experiences because I, I think that's an interesting question for anyone. Like I would always love to hear everyone's answer to that. Yeah. Um, I never owned any Bitcoin until early 2021. So I'm not even an early adopter in this space. Um, I was first like introduced to Bitcoin probably like 2013, um, I think is when I first probably heard about it. And I remember in 2014, um, I was working at this co-working space and this co-working space had a Bitcoin ATM in there. And there's so many times where I like look at like, what was the price of Bitcoin in this month of 2014? Because <laughs> I remember seeing people always walking up to that ATM and buying it. And I was just like dumbfounded as to why anybody would do that. What is the point um, <laughs> that money, like where's that money going? What is that ATM giving you? You're putting money in. What is it giving you back? Like I never... But so I was the typical sort of like naysayer who, you know, first first you laugh at that and you make fun of that and then you just kind of like fight it and then eventually you become curious and then you learn it and then like, you, okay, now I get it. So I did go down that path. I was that person laughing and doubting the other people when they were walking up to that Bitcoin ATM back in like 2014, 2013. Yeah. Um, so that's when I was first like introduced to it. A few years later, I'm working for a tech startup. And this was this is when I really kicked myself. I don't really kick myself that like I didn't use that ATM in 2014 because again, <laughs> I don't think my mind was ready to wrap my head around it. But in yeah. 2016, 2017, I, I lived in South Africa for three months. Um, so cool. that was my first experience being outside of the US. That was that should have been like my first opportunity to be exposed to, like a different world of money and different world of like banking systems and financial systems. Um, but I go to, uh, not only was I in South Africa, but the type of people I was working with, you know, they were very into like, like crypto and buying cryptocurrencies and they would talk to me about it, say like, I should do it. And I was still kind of in that same mental state that I did, I, I described before where, you know, I was kind of like putting it off, not really being curious about it just yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and those people, like those guys, I still, these are coworkers for a different company six years ago. I still keep in touch with them. Like they made out pretty good doing buying what they were buying back in 2016, 2017. Um, but it was 2018 is when I was finally like, okay, these guys are making like money off of this stuff. Like they figured it out. Like I need to figure it out. So I started doing a little bit of like, I watched a lot of online videos. I read a little bit of blogs here and there and some newsletters. Um, but it's for whatever reason, the information I was consuming, it didn't like peak my curiosity just yet. And just like anything, if you're not curious, you're going to move away from it. Um, and then it wasn't until 2021 when it came back around. And then I realized like all of my college friends, all my friends from university, they're messaging, messaging each other back and forth, talking about like, this is working. This is working. This is great. Like, you know, Bitcoin's going up, Bitcoin's going up. And for me, what's the actual kicker is my university friends, none of us really did anything uh, computer science or engineering related. We all studied different things. I was a marketing major. 
but I started working in tech startups immediately after college. So I've always been the early adopter when it comes to tech. So when my university friends are talking about tech trends and what's going on in tech, and I feel like I'm behind, that's when I'm just like, okay, I missed the boat on something. Like I need to get caught up. So when they're all talking about like different wallets and where they store and all this stuff, that's when I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? I need to figure this out. So my move that that really pushed me over the edge was I, I've heard of, at that time, I heard of Coinbase the most. So I created a Coinbase account and I just bought like $100 worth of Bitcoin. That was my very first thing. In, and a theory, I think I did the same thing with Ethereum or ETH. So that is, that's what I was learning is like, okay, I can try to learn this stuff on my own, but like I need to be invested in it in some way. So I threw in a couple hundred bucks to at least buy it. So at least I could say I had skin in the game. And that's really what sort of like changed my behavior in terms of like how often I checked on it and what's the price today. And, and then over time, so this is early 2021, you know, a few months later, I'm figuring out like at that time, I only viewed it as a cryptocurrency, as a trader. You know, there's still so much more that you can do with blockchain and Web3. So my sort of like interest and in, or my rather my fear of not falling behind to my university friends led me to buying something, becoming more of a trader and then eventually getting more involved in terms of like a builder uh, or like a founder, not for myself, but like paying attention to the people who are building things on Web3 and then starting companies that are blockchain oriented. And then I think that's what sort of like helped me get back on my my journey of finding a, an opportunity to work in Web3. Um, so yeah, that's a very long-winded way of answering that yeah. question. But like, there was definitely different yeah, phases of wow. when I was that's introduced cool. to it until I finally jumped on it. And then, I mean, finally jumping on it was a good thing because, you know, I, I get to do what I do now for work. With with that, like, it's kind of off topic a little bit, but with the whole Web3 thing, what's, what's your thoughts on Web5 and um, Jack Dorsey's whole... Um, movement towards that and Nostra and and all the, I, I guess all the cool open tech that's coming out of that. Have you looked well, into so that? I, I really haven't. I don't have a, a Nostra ID. Um, I haven't checked it out too much. Web. The first time I heard Web Five was I think I think it was at Consensus in Austin last year. So this is like June 2022. Um, and at that time, man, I'm like still really, I mean, I'm only three months into the job. So I'm still yeah, really yeah. trying to wrap my head around Web3. And then I hear Web5, like, Jesus, what did I miss? Like, how did we go so fast? I'm still trying to understand Wave 3. Now we're like, what happened to 4? But then I understood. So, I mean, I think Jack Dorsey is obviously super smart. Um, yeah. He's obviously like a, a, a super Bitcoin maxi. Um, you know, he's definitely pro everything Bitcoin. Um so I don't I don't doubt it. I don't um, avoid it or ignore it, but I certainly don't think it's my personal take on it is uh, I'm too absorbed into Web3 right now to be thinking of like, what's the difference here? What are the pros and cons of the two? What are opportunities exist here that can't exist or what ex opportunities exist in Web5 that can exist in Web3? Yeah. Um, like, and so I think, and, and you know, what I was able to... Um, put together was I think the whole reason that web five came around was just because it wasn't as decentralized, like web three wasn't as decentralized as most people claim it to be. That's but, right. you know, if you look at what I do, or I guess for, from my specific perspective, you know, I work at stacks, stacks allows people to build on Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a truly decentralized network. So for me, like the whole thing of web five didn't really resonate because I'm like, if this is all about decentralization and, you know, DID, like that stuff can exist in Web3. Like, 
why are we just hitting the fast forward button on stuff? Um, I think I think I think as well he was kind of I think it was a bit tongue in cheek like these numbers are sort of arbitrary so it's like we'll just skip over to five like I kind of like that I think it's a little bit of a joke and it's like you know meant to be web two plus three is like it's right. it's all kind of silly but I kind of like that at the same time I think it's it's weird and the internet should be weird <laughs> keep it yeah weird. that's very true <laughs> so have you have you have you poked around or have you done anything yeah man nost is incredible yeah I, like okay. the, the the irony of the twitter founder like building a protocol an open protocol that's going to make twitter obsolete like it must be driving <laughs> it must be driving the twitter ceo yeah. elon musk absolutely insane like i know i know he has been like actively trying to block like nosta tweets on twitter oh, I, well, i'm not surprised i'm not yeah. surprised yeah but, but it's like but the, the, like the, it's crazy though because they could implement nosta on twitter right so it's it's just an open protocol so you own your id so like you know public private key which we're used to with bitcoin um, just implementing that as as your ID on on Twitter rather than you know an email address and password mm-hmm. and rah 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 and all this crap that can get hacked pretty easily. Um, so yeah, I, I I there's probably a disconnect I reckon with with the Twitter folks and and you know Facebooks and and alike and uh, Instagram and all the rest of it. It's basically if they implement it quick enough, they won't be obsolete. If they don't. They'll go by the wayside sort of thing. So it's all, all pretty positive. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I, I think it's interesting stuff that's happening. But anyway, back back to you. <laughs> so your your origin story for BTC, we went through that. Um, gone through uh sort of all coins. So you you had Ethereum. Um, was did you sort of dabble in in trading as most people did at the start, or did you sort of skip over that? I um I didn't go full cycle. I bought, I held. And then some stuff like like Luna, you know, I bought um, I bought a, more Luna than other coins that I bought. And then Luna was really high and I never sold or never traded anything. And I, I didn't get any returns on. So I never sold any crypto that I, I, I purchased. I know people can make money doing that, but um, it's a skill and it's a time consuming uh, muscle that you have to create or uh, generate like over time. You have to put in the reps and the time. And I just you know, I didn't do that. Um, I was never really a trader of any sort uh, in, in, in stocks or anything else like that. So I never really spent too much time trying to learn it. My goal was like, I'm going to buy money I can afford to lose. So, it, and I'm hoping this will help me learn. And that was a very effective strategy for me. It was a very effective way of like, okay, even though I'm not making money, the goal is not to make money because th- at the end of the day, I can't make money on something I don't really understand. Mm-hmm. But putting my money to work was a way to allow me to learn this stuff. And that gave me a return in a different form. That gave me a return of, I understand it now. And it also like got me a job and it got me to connect with a lot of people. And I talk with people about opportunities of building on this stuff all the time. So it put me in a better place. I did get an ROI, just not like a, a financial, you know, ROI, uh, but an ROI in different ways. Um, other altcoins like, but honestly, so what's interesting is like when it came to all, like other coins, my mindset of crypto at first was like, I don't, it's a scam. And I thought that because I didn't really get it. And really it was a lazy thing on my part. Um, I didn't understand it. So when people ask me about it, uh, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't get it. Uh, it's a scam. 
But once you take the time to learn it and you understand the value of it, that's when I started to become more open-minded to it. And that's when I became very open-minded to a handful of altcoins. Um, and I didn't get burned on any of them. Luckily, I traded on Coinbase. I don't have, I didn't have anything in FTX uh, or really any of the other ex, uh, exchanges. But like, that's when I thought like, oh, geez, this actually, <laughs> it's not as decentralized as we thought. Um, this money is just sitting in places that people still do have access to and bad behavior can be, can be performed in some of these places. Mm -hmm. So if anything, like I did, I'm happy I didn't lose any money on any altcoin. Um, I did buy or, just because or some centralized of them... exchanges for that matter. That's, that's really well, correct. Because really like, yeah. I think a lot of us sort of assumed um, that the lessons from Mt. Gox, uh, like everybody got that right. So uh, like, there's been a disconnect because most people like yourself who sort of come in um, later on uh, might not even know about Mt. Gox and like the history of that and the centralization. And so it's like, I think with each cycle, people are going to have to learn the hard way in different ways right. over and over again until we sort of get closer to truth. But yeah, it's, it's quite interesting, like how, how that sort of happened. So like with us using Coinbase, um, do you dollar cost average or, or what's called DCA with, with them or with anybody else? I'm trying to think if I've used, I really don't think I, I, I've, I have accounts set up. I think I intended to use, sometimes it's tricky in the U S um, like some States you can't use certain exchanges. So I may have like created an account on an exchange, but like if I'm in a certain location, I can't actually use it. So Coinbase for me that has always worked. Um, and for whatever reason, I have like this sense of security using Coinbase. I mean, it is yeah. a publicly traded company. So I do feel like there's a little bit more like transparency and also like regulation and liability in place there. Yeah. Um, it works for me. It is my preference. But now like I really don't, I don't, I mean, I haven't messed with any alternative, like all coins since shortly after I started getting involved from the beginning. Um, since then, like I really haven't even, the only time I bought ETH since then was a few months later because a friend of mine was creating a Bill Murray NFT and I really, really wanted it. And so, and there was only a hundred available. So I bought enough ETH where I could afford it. And that was really the only time ever since then, the only things I've purchased have been uh, BTC and STX. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And I do those both on Coinbase. Is, is that, are you dollar cost averaging into that? So are you familiar with like that, that method of investment? Uh, no, no, I haven't heard until you, until you asked me there, but I mean, I still kind of stick to the same, I want you to explain it to me, but I will yeah. just say, I still kind of stick to the same principles of, um, I mean, I'm a very simple minded person when it comes to this stuff. I will gradually passively save X amount of money over a week, over a month or whatever. And then I'll just use that to buy either BTC or STX. Um, or if there's something that I want, meaning like this Bill Murray NFT, that was like more <laughs> impulsive. I want that. Uh, or if there's a if there's a stacks NFT I see on like you know the gamma marketplace or something I'm like oh I want to support Kieran uh, I'm gonna buy this NFT for you know to support Kieran and then I will go ahead and buy a couple hundred or a thousand STX to to buy your NFT other than that it's more like a passive way but um, that's my methodology. That's so interesting. To it. Oh, I've just funnily enough I watched um where the Buffalo Room last night with bill murray i don't know if you've seen that but i don't know but okay tell me <laughs> it's um him playing uh hunter s thompson and he does like an incredible job it's like 1980 it came out but it's like it's on point if you haven't seen it 
definitely watch okay. it. Like, it's yeah, really good. Awesome. It doesn't, doesn't get the best reviews, but like, and Hunter S. Thompson didn't like it, didn't approve of it, like in the end. But I thought he did an amazing job. So yeah, worth worth a watch. Okay. Um, so yeah, dollar cost averaging is essentially um, it's actually what these guys do. So Amber <laughs> is uh, the, yes. the company that sponsored this podcast, but. Um, Basically, dollar cost averaging is like it sounds like you're kind of doing it already, just without knowing the terminology. Is basically setting a, a time where you're a month or week where you're buying automatically, usually the same amount, and um, sort of set and forget for the most part. So what Amber do is it's a tool just for that. So Bitcoin only, and you you can do like twenty bucks a month. It connects to your bank account puts it into storage, which is actually multi-sig on their end, and you don't have to think about it. It actually, they even have a tool to put it into your hardware wallet as well if you want to do that. Um, but basically it's it's set and forget. And by, by the end of it, you know, it takes that, that thing away where you've sort of mentioned it before, where you're buying, freaking out, looking at the price, like, oh my God, it's up, it's down. What am I going to do next? It's just you purchase and you know it's going in like every month and you don't have to think about it. They do it with like traditional stocks as well. And I've got a friend who does it with like Tesla stocks um, mm-hmm. and like whatever. But I think it, with with the Bitcoin protocol, it means you're sort of owning that as opposed to sort of renting <laughs> vapeware from <laughs> from the stock market. It's, sure. a, it's a big, big difference. But Highly recommend it. And I'm pretty sure Amber's launched in, in America. So if you wanted to, I can awesome. give you a promo code, um, get off yeah. zero and you get 10 bucks free BTC with that as well. So definitely worth checking out. Um, okay. Thanks so for with that. Man. Yeah, no, I will. It's uh, it's yeah, definitely, it's really cool, cool company. And they do the BTC only and do some pretty cool stuff with the, I think they're launching lightning soon as well, which will be pretty awesome. Um, so custodial. So, Hardware wallets, signing devices. What's your hardware wallet of choice? I'm guessing probably Ledger. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but um, have you got? Have you sort of dabbled with with different hardware wallets, or what's what's your experience? You know, I I know some people who work at Ledger, and I uh, have been. I started there, and he, so <clears throat> I think the first person I left this out of my story of how I learned blockchain and web3 and crypto um i had a friend who dabbled a lot in it he had his own um a mining node in his house and you know he he knew a lot about ethereum he knew a lot about bitcoin um he was the one who first said you should look into ledger for your wallet and so he so it came from a trusted friend i looked into it just also like online reviews show like this is like the most popular one um, it, it hasn't let me down. It really hasn't given me any sort of like signs of concern at all. So I, it's like, if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it. I just keep using it. I have different versions. I can't even remember which ones though, but I have probably three or four ledger devices. Um, I mean, the only thing that I do that might be different from other people is I only put like, I, I have one that's only for stacks. I have one that's only for Bitcoin. And then I have like some miscellaneous stacks and Bitcoin on, on the other devices, but um, yeah, it works for me. They, uh, I would like to do something with them as like a, an opportunity, like what we can do with Stacks, because uh, this is going to be a little Stacks plug, but I think maybe the folks listening might find it interesting if they're not familiar with stacking. Um, you know, stacking is a way that you can learn native or not learn, but you can earn native Bitcoin by stacking your Stacks. And there's a Stacks company called Xverse that you can stack your Stacks 
and they will pay you into your Bitcoin wallet, which they have in Xverse as well. So I have my stacks, I have a stacks wallet, I have a Bitcoin wallet, all in Xverse. And I have the stacks in my stacks wallet, I stack them, the yield is paid into my Bitcoin wallet in native Bitcoin. You can do all of that while your stacks or your Bitcoin is on ledger connected. Um, so like your your actual currency never touches Xverse. Um, so it's, it's fully non-custodial and that's a, that's an, an interesting thing that I think, yeah. And so there's a, that's an interesting thing that I think like Ledger being Ledger, most people know of them, you know, it is a popular wallet. Um, I think that's a cool use case of what some of the companies in the Stacks ecosystem or anybody who's building on Bitcoin can see. Um, but aside from all of that, I just like their products and I do follow, like, I see they have a lot of different products, their products. I mean, the, the app uh works like i think their onboarding is very simple like onboarding is such a big thing for me oh, yeah. when it comes yeah. to blockchain and, and these cryptocurrencies and just tech in general any product whether we're in native mobile applications or web 2 or whatever onboarding is so important if you want people to actually do what this product is designed to do you have to onboard them well web 3 has historically been a terrible designed and onboarded experience um, I found ledgers to be pretty solid. Uh, and that's what gave me the confidence in this tool is that like they're thinking of the user in mind as they like built this out. I found it to be pretty straightforward compared to when I first set up my my digital wallet. Um, you know, that was like an alarming experience for me because I'm like, what the hell is going on? I don't know what this person, what this is asking for. I don't know if I trust who, whatever is doing this, but like a friend walked me through how to do it. I set up my own ledger and I felt much better doing ledger on my own than I did working with my friend who knew this Web3 space when I was first getting started on setting up like my first digital wallet. Yeah. Um, so for that reason, multiple reasons, ledger's my go-to. Yeah, it's it's pretty solid hardware. I think I've like I've got one, I've got pretty much every on my keys here, I've got one. Um yeah. I just use that as a signing device. So you can do all sorts of cool stuff with them. Um the one detractor is that it's closed source. So I probably mentioned this before on the, the podcast, but um, if you look at something like Trezor or Cold Card, they're open source. So it means people can review the code. So that's that's the one one piece that, yeah, has always sort of irked me a little bit. And okay, yeah, it's like, it, it's like, I mean, it's still great for onboarding and it's way more secure than a hot wallet, um, but it's worth probably researching and looking into um, I guess diversifying like your hardware wallets, right? So like sure. having uh, Trezor, I think the user experience is really good as well. Um, they've got like a, a really good GUI that you can just jump into. It connects up pretty similar, actually. Um, cold card's a lot more in-depth. <laughs> and it's, how do you, uh, how do you spell the first one? Trezor, oh, yeah. T-R-E-Z-O-R, I think it is. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely worth having a having a squiz anyway when you get some time and have a play around with. Just get one like and and have a go with it. And then there's a bunch of others, but I think that that that's probably the easiest open source alternative to to Ledger. Um, hasn't got like all the the altcoins and STX and all the rest of it. Or uh, Monero, I think is on is on Ledger as well. So I mean, you could do a lot more with the Ledger. Um, but in terms of that open source factor. It's um, definitely worth looking into. Um, so following on from that, and this is like a logical progression of like sort of how I learned about stuff. Um, the the next part of le- getting off zero is is like the hash rate, right? So like 
mining, um, why hash rate's important to the network, to the proof of work protocol. Um, have you dabbled in mining at all or, or sort of looked into it or, or do you mine? You know, I think that's my biggest downfall of um, my involvement in this space is I, I feel like it's um, it's such a like a prohibitor of learning how this could work. I understand the concept, but I had like kind of like what I was saying before uh, sharing my El Salvador story, like I understood the concept of Bitcoin before I went there. But then when I actually was like living it and, and using it to buy my food, that's when I was just yep. like, oh, man, this is different. So yeah. I wanted to go through that same process with mining because um you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of miners in the stacks ecosystem. There's a lot of miners uh, at conferences, uh, Bitcoin miners that I go to that, you know, I wish I could connect better if I knew what they cared about or if I knew the pain that they suffered from or what would make their life easier. That's always like what I'm looking for. Um, but it's hard for me to empathize or relate to some of the stuff that they talk about because I've never actually like set up my my own systems to do it. Mm -hmm. Um certainly not against it. And ultimately, like, I think I would get around to it at some point because I would like to uh, just do those things that I just said I couldn't, uh, but also just sort of be like a little bit more like sufficient on my own. It would be helpful for me to learn that stuff, but I haven't done it on my own, surrounded by a lot of people who do. Yep. Yep. Well, it's yeah, definitely worth looking into. And there is home miners you can get that are sort of low power. So it's not going to drain your energy bill. And um, you can actually set them up pretty easily with a full node and all the rest of it integrated. Um, not that expensive either. And it's, it's, I think it's more the, like you said, the learning aspect rather than, you know, getting rich quick off, off mining. There's also a game that we built a number of years ago at school called, um, so it was a company built it like with the kids actually writing the narrative for it, which was pretty cool. And it's got my voiceover <laughs> and the principal's voiceover as well. It's called uh, Crypto, Crypto Crisis. So if you get the Crypto Crisis Education Edition on Steam, it's free. Go through that, and you'll uh, you'll learn about the uh, the madness that is Bitcoin mining <laughs> and the fun okay. the fun that goes with that. So <laughs> it's it's quite quite cool. It's like balancing your energy and the 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 math that goes along with it. Um, so you alluded to it before. So getting off zero lightning, you obviously have a go to lightning wallet now that you use, like a hot wallet since being to El Salvador. Um, uh, yeah, what's oh, your experience sorry. with that? Um. I am bullish on lightning. Uh, I mean, in El Salvador, one, one of the friends I traveled with, he paid for his food uh, that was not on lightning. <laughs> we were sitting at the restaurant for like 35 minutes for like, the transaction <laughs> to, to go through. I was like, man, come on. I'm just going to like buy this for you so we can get on with it. This is the day we flew in. So we were both, I was kind of tired and cranky, but um, then, you know, using lightning is just like seconds. So that layers and L2s definitely believe like is needed. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so to your question though, I don't have, um, so let's see. Um, I use Cash App just because Cash App was the easiest way for me to like quickly buy oh, and use. That, that's got Lightning? I didn't know that. Okay. Cool. That's what, yeah. So that's what was, that was, it has Lightning integration to a, for my uh, all the transactions I did in El Salvador while through Cash App. Um, so I did everything within Cash App in terms of like buying Bitcoin, spending Bitcoin. Um, wow. Yeah, I didn't I didn't transfer any money anywhere to do it. I would just always buy it at whatever rate, at whatever cost it was, and then I would just you know use that to to pay for my dinner, my coffee, my my swag uh, at the event, like anything. That's um, really interesting. 
think I because I, you're not allowed to install Cash App in Australia. I've wanted to, okay. but it's like geo blocked. Um, I had no idea that it was a Lightning wallet as well. That's that's amazing. So you literally so, like you got off the plane, you didn't know that everything was Lightning, and like having Cash App, you could just interact with everything. That's incredible. Yeah, wow, I, I I was I mean I was lucky that with being in the lines lines to get through customs lines to get my coffee um i was very grateful that i already had cash app like installed and set up and uh, connected uh to my like uh my my bank accounts to make all these like tr- uh purchases ex- like possible but um if i were to go there and i had heard of strike prior to that i was familiar with strike mm-hmm. um but uh you know, their moon wallet is really there, meaning in El Salvador. So if I were to, if I didn't have strike, if I didn't have cash app, I would have used moon. That's, that's a big one. And yeah. then I can't remember the main wallet that the people who are leading these educational initiatives in Bitcoin beach and El Zonte, they had their own wallet. It might've been just called beach wallet or Bitcoin beach wallet. Um, that was another local one that is, a lot of people used. The, the government one. Um... I think, I think that initiative was, government funded because i mean not to go back to el salvador but like the government did have a lot of involvement of the success of bitcoin there and it has kind of come full cycle where um the government is very protective of travelers and um they make it very because i you know different parts of san salvador we go to the locals would say we would never come here five to seven years ago too much violence too much crime too much gang activity but they said but the government is very protective of travelers and the, you know, the gang members know that you don't want to mess with travelers because the government will come, come crack down on you because the government sees travel and tourism as a huge economic like uh, opportunity for them. Wow. So that's kind of like what drew all this full circle is like, this is improving safety. This is giving our locals who live in poverty a better opportunity, which is also improving safety. And it's bringing more travelers and like, you know, uh, tourism is flourishing because more people are coming here now that it's a safer place. I can't give a source or anything, but someone said um, by statistics, uh, El Salvador is one of the safer countries, safest countries in uh, Central America now, um, where before it, it was always known to be like the most dangerous for the longest yeah. time. What seriously? Because I've, I've got friends from South America here, and when I said I'm on the bill for a conference in El Salvador, they were like, "What? You're going to get murdered off the plane?" <laughs> So there's a lot of fear with that. It's that's incredible, and like to see, yeah. um, well, and and to put it in perspective, like one of my friends from elementary school or primary school here, um, was from El Salvador. So his dad was the ambassador for El Salvador, and oh, wow. um, he he would tell us stories about El Salvador and the history of the violence and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, to see that like disappear with this open or slowly like erode with this open protocol, and the fact that like Pukeli's, um utilizing geothermal energy to basically do universal basic income over proof of work right so like using the True. volcano and and distributing um the the wealth to to people there to to really save lives. It's, it's incredible to see i can't can't wait to see it firsthand and doing all that over lightning is just like next level it's, it's incredible um so so last couple of questions so like you're i know you probably haven't got much time left because we've, we've gone over um that's all right but with uh, with that, so have you dabbled in using uh, multi-sig before? So like you've obviously got your ledger. Have you have you used multi-sig with like your partner or 
or something like that before, or is that something you're keen to look at? One of the things that I would put on the list of uh, same list as like mining is on, it's one of those things that I need to sort of like get refreshed and learn more on. So it's not a thing that I use, hear about it a lot. Um, again, grasp the concept, but it hasn't like actually sunk into my bones as to like what it, how it works and like the impact that it has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so to put it in perspective, um, actually this afternoon, we're setting up multi-sig with the digital playhouse. So um, with Electra, okay. we've each right a, a card from um, Seed Signer. So it's literally like NFC card that you tap to the back of your phone. And that's your private key, right? So, and there's a pin that goes along with it. So between the three of us, we're setting up with a, this wallet called Nunchuck. Um, multi-sig, so two of three multi-sig for us to have a fund for the for the charity um, together. And they've made it really, really simple and easy to use, so much so that I'm going to teach my parents to use it as well because it's like nice. literally tap and you're like secure, right? So you would have to go and find all, you know, two of the three people and their phone and their card and have like the, the pin to do that to be able sure. to, to sort of steal the fund. So... Highly recommended. I'll um I might even do a walkthrough and and share it with you because it's something that yeah. I think you could um share with the the community sort of thing. Um, Definitely. Finally, running a node. Have you dabbled in running a Bitcoin node before, or you know, or that's something that I highly recommend as well. So the the big one, and we're actually building some curriculum on this as well with the School of Bitcoin, um, is uh, Umbral. So what we want to do is get students actually getting uh, like old hardware. So it doesn't have to be a Raspberry Pi because you can't find Raspberry Pis anymore. They're like right. super expensive. <laughs> you can get an old laptop. You can get an old NUC. You can get an old Dell computer and turn that into a full node um, with, the, oh. with the software. And it's we're, we're going to do like a, a play-by-play walkthrough on how, how you do that. So I'll share that with you. All right, well, that's that's the last question I had in terms of your, your Get Off Zero learning journey. Um, where, or sorry, last one, where do you go for education? So I know you've been in this space for a little while now, like what's your sort of go-to space that you could share with, with other people? I mean, I find the best stuff on YouTube, but I think it comes down to like where I'm, where I'm getting the lead from. Um, I haven't really searched or seeked out certain things, but I do read a lot that other people will be sharing. So, um, Oh man, I think I started with listening to uh, Naval Ravikant talk on different um, podcasts, different interviews that he would that he would do. Um, I, I'm a big Naval fan. Uh, like his philosophy, I think on on life, on business, on startups, on health, on wealth, on everything is is really uh, solid and impactful. So that was one of the people that kind of like inspired me to you know pursue this direction. Um, I honestly don't, but this was when I was, this was like two years ago. Um, so I don't really know if he like produces any more content about it. I think he's kind of like, likes to be a, an early mover and shaker of sorts. So I think he was doing a lot more creation or having discussions with people then than he does now. Um, but he, I like the way he would break things down. I mean, this is a really shameless plug, but you know, our developer advocate at the foundation is a really, really good documenter and he does some really good technical writing. Um, sorry, he takes very technical writing and makes it easy to understand. Um, so that's just, that's the thing that I can share with you 
um, you know, if, if you're interested in seeing it, but you know, he's, yeah. he's, he's creating, um, he contributes to the courses of clarity camps that, again, going back to the clarity programming language, but he's also now in the process of creating another course just that's called building on Bitcoin. Um, and it's just going to be for, you know, anyone who wants to, whether you want to do lightning integrations, whether you want to learn L2s, whether you want to like launch a stacks project, um, like whatever it is, you know, he's covering like the whole grand scheme of building on Bitcoin. Awesome. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't have, um, a specific like person that I'm overly subscribed to other than one other guy named, uh, uh, blockchain Jake on Twitter. Um, so he's based in Portland, Oregon. Um, I don't think I've met him in person, but I've seen his face. Um, he's always doing good things of what, he, of what like discoveries that he's coming up with, like new projects, uh, new things to keep an eye on. But yeah, I, that's, that's a, that's a very roundabout answer, but I think my, my current way of learning of like what's new and upcoming, or maybe it's not even new, it's new for me, uh, is through people who I already know and have that trust with. So like, you know, you've named many different things in the world of Bitcoin and also different companies that are doing things that I've been taking note of and like opening oh, up oh. new tabs and searching because I want to learn about them. But this is coming from like a trusted source. You know, the guy, the developer advocate I mentioned before, you know, I've worked with him. I've done projects with him. I understand his style, his learning and his teaching style. Um, this uh, blockchain, Jake, Jake blockchain, I, I said it wrong. Uh, he, he, I really like his delivery on like what he does on his YouTube channel. So I think for everybody, there's no right or wrong way. It's just like learn your preference and then like find a way to make that consistent. Um, like bake it into your routine of you do you do it first thing in the morning. Do you do it during your lunch break? Like watch a video while you eat lunch. If you're busy, maybe listen to a podcast while you take a walk. You know, you kind of do have to borderline obsess with this stuff to like hear it over and over and over again to like trying to really wrap your head around and, and learn about it but <laughs> but yeah i mean i've been I've, I've also gotten pretty familiar and comfortable of feeling stupid uh because i don't know any of this stuff so like okay adam like what do you know about multi-sig i'm like not a thing oh <laughs> what do you know about like do you have your own note it's like nope like i I'm, i've just gotten comfortable for before you know my reaction would be like maybe i i've heard of that or i'll pretend i know what it is like that yeah. got me nowhere when I say I don't know something, people are very quick to want to teach or they're quick to want to help uh, and be helpful. And so I've also that's also been a, a good learning curve for me is just learning directly from people when they start talking about something. If I don't understand, I just say that to them. So awesome. in that's short, awesome. yeah. That's really like, good advice. That's great advice for people out there. Yeah. If you don't know something, I, ask. And then we'll, there's plenty of people that will be more than happy to help you. Um, well, thanks so much, Adam. This has been so good to catch up. We'll have to do it again Likewise, soon. Um, what's the best place for people to follow you and um, yeah, reach out if they want to get in contact? Yeah, um, I'm on Discord and I'm on Twitter. Uh, Twitter's easiest. Uh, it's Adam underscore Han, H-A-U-N. Um, DMs are open. Feel free to contact me. I'm pretty responsive. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, otherwise, if you want to talk about something a little bit more in depth, you can always email me at adam at stacks, S-T-A-C-K-S dot org. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, my whole, uh, work and role and purpose is all about like helping people. So whether anything I said is, is, is something that people are interested in, or they want to further explore or talk more about, definitely find me on Twitter or, or email. And, um, and I'm happy to chat more. I, I'm also at Adam Hahn on Telegram, if that's your jam. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Adam. And we'll, um, we'll catch up soon.
Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. This was fun. <laughs> Look after yourself. Cheers. Thanks.